we're at an inflection point. And, and inflection is kind of a, a, not a typical word that we hear a whole lot, but it, it's kind of like um, it, it implies a change in tone. And, and the tone of our conversation, our faith, we're at kind of like a fork in the road. And, and we can go in one direction, and that's the direction generally that we've been in. That's the, the direction that the church is, has been on, the path the church has been on for probably centuries with interruptions in the path of you know, revivals have sprung up. God has stirred the church to revival. But over time, we've wandered back to substantial unbelief. Now he stirred us. Our little church right here, church on the street, probably stirring, and we're not so special that I, I wouldn't suspect that he's stirring many, many other churches as well. But we're at that point where we have to make a decision. Are we going to think and operate as though we're truly in the kingdom, or are we going to let experience, walking by um, sight versus walking by faith, be that which drives us? And... Uh, from my perspective, we're in both feet, and, and, and it's going to require lots of, um, of perseverance on our part to continue because there's going to be lot and lot and lot of pressure. <laughs> That's probably really bad English, but you know what I mean. There'll be tremendous pressure to relent. I don't know if I shared this with you all last week. I mean, we really didn't have a message last week, but Ben Green and I were... Um, talking about the Lord and scriptures and things. And he said, like, you know, am I the devil's advocate? It's like, what about and what about and what about? And how is it possible that over the course of, you know, 2,000 years or so since the cross, that that all of these scriptures, like the ones that I just read to you, you know, the washing of the water of the word, how is it that all those are absolutely true, but nobody's figured it out until now? And, and my answer, which I think was the Lord, is that people have figured it out. Over and over and over they've figured it out, that, that it's obvious, the words in the scripture, people have been enlightened to the point, like we were, through Thurman Scrivener's teaching. Just, I mean, it was all it took. The Lord just you know, gave us a CD through Dr. Yeboa, and it stirred this up inside of us. But you don't always see it in the natural, but you have to believe that it's done, as the kingdom would tell us. So maybe over the course of thousands of years, what's happened is that the church has been stirred up like we have been stirred up, but they haven't. Now let me just read you scripture. It's not, it's not an unfamiliar scripture to you. Luke eight fifteen. So I'm a little ahead of myself, Caitlin. Uh, but the seed and the good soil. So this is kind of the, the punchline part from this, the parable of the, the seed and the soil. But the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. So as we're on this quest to truly be the city on the hill that Scripture decides or describes, we're going to be tested over and over and over again. I don't understand all the tests. I mean, maybe I never will. But we got to press in. We have to hold fast, and we have to persevere because I think that's what's happened over the course of time, that, that the church has been kind of woke up, and then they were tested. And they didn't see the exact results of ask me anything that you want and it'll be done for you in my will. I mean, there's qualifiers. So they asked and they didn't see it. But they asked again and again and maybe one time out of 10 times, but then they didn't see it anymore and they were being tested. Their faith was being tested, just like our faith is being tested. And 
they didn't hold fast. They finally moved on because it's uncomfortable to keep standing in a place where you don't see the natural results of what you're asking when you ask for it. But the Bible teaches that, that these things come by holding fast and by perseverance. So it's the, it's the long way to say we're at an inflection point. The, the tone of our voice is either going to change or it's not. It, is it going to change for just a little while? And then because it didn't seem to work, we're going to change back? Or are we just going to say, sorry, the word of God says this, and I'm going to stand fast on this? Rebel, I'm looking at your face. God's either real or he's not, right? Isn't that what you said? It's, he's either real or he's not. We're putting our chips all into the center. And, and, and her chips aren't like, you know, little chips, you know, minor consequence. She's got real stuff that she's trusting God for. She's taken out of the world's hands and putting it into God's hands. She and Finley are just like, he's either real or he's not. We're putting all our chips on God, and that's how it is. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for faith. Jesus says when the Son of Man returns, is he going to find any faith? I mean, this is what he's looking for. He's looking for people that don't, doesn't matter what I see. It matters what God said, and I'm walking in what God said. I mentioned this last week, and you know, I gave you a little preamble and a postamble, but not the, not the middle part last week because the Holy Spirit was, was very much moving in a different direction. Getting to that place, that, that consistently city on a hill place is going to require a couple of substantial things. The first is changed perspective. We have to see us, we have to see reality differently than we do today. Differently than the world does, right? If, if I got my knee, I keep using my knee as an example. If, if I got this messed up knee and the doctor tells me exactly what's messed up with it, and I say, God, I'm asking you according to your word that you heal my knee. And I'm standing in faith believing, thank you so much for healing my knee. And I go see the doctor and I say, hey, he says, how's your knee? I say, it's, it's completely better. He said, well, that's not possible. Yesterday I did an x-ray and I saw what's wrong with it. Well, it's better now. Does it hurt anymore? Well, yeah. Could I x-ray it again? Sure. Do you see on the picture here this thing that's supposed to be like this is like this? Your knee's not better. No, it is better. No, it's not. No, it is. Because God said so. He made a promise to me. He said if I ask and believe that my knee's better. Does it feel better? No, it doesn't feel better. I mean, it sounds stupid, doesn't it? But doesn't 1 Corinthians tell us that the, the ways of, of the Spirit are foolishness to the carnal mind? These are the ways of the Spirit. These are the things that we have to grasp onto, hold fast, persevere in faith, until we see the natural manifestation of what's already been done in the spiritual. I mean, I don't know what else to do. Because I'm, I'm, I'm so far past the point, not that the, the devil doesn't try to get me into doubt, but I'm so far past the point of confessing that I, I would feel like an idiot to go back. And, I, and then I'm stuck in double idiot land. I told you one thing, but I bowed to the world, to my carnal mind that wants to think different than, you know, I want to walk by sight, not by faith. We're at an inflection point, And it's going to require tremendous spiritual faith, Right? First is change perspective, Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. We have to be changed, transformed by the renewing of our minds. This change that happens, that's why we wash ourselves in the water of the word, to transform our minds because our worldview is in one place. But as we're being transformed, our worldview, our perspective, the way we see my knee, 
I see my knee. It's healed. Hallelujah. The doctor might not see it that way because his perspective is different. His perspective is from his knowledge, from his physical science, from the things he can touch and see and feel. My perspective is this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He can't see it, but I can. Well, how in the world do you see it? Faith. My healed knee is faith. And, and, it, and it's like, it is a healed knee. The devil tries to get me to think it's not sometimes, but I'm just saying, hey, sorry, I don't, I don't believe your lie. I believe faith. Faith is a healed knee. End of the conversation. Does, does your knee get any ice when, it's being, when you're being lied to by the devil? It does not. Now, I'm not telling you not to take your medicine. I'm not telling you don't. You do what you want. But my knee gets no ice when the devil's lying to me, telling me that it's not healed and suggesting to me things that are I can actually somehow feel them. And it gets no Tylenol. It gets no ibuprofen. It gets no aspirin because you don't take aspirin for healed knees, right? That's my perspective right now. So the first thing we require is a changed perspective. He's, he goes on in 12.2, transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. What's the will of God? For my knee to be healed. And when my perspective changes, I start to demonstrate, prove, test and approve. I mean, it could be translated all those different ways. Test and approve what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The second thing is faith. Our perspective has to change. The way we look has to be from the kingdom perspective, not from the world's perspective. And where they don't align with each other, then we stand in faith. The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I started off the, today's, you know, everything has a title. When I keep track of my things, it was, today's message was, was sin and sickness. But I think it's got to be broader than just sickness. So let's think of what you're going to hear today from the perspective of sin and consequence. And then a subset of consequence can be sickness. Does that make sense? Because we can have other consequences that aren't just some kind of physical sickness. I said last week, too, that I'm really, 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 really trying to conquer the what and not the what about. So... Somebody prays for my knee, and, and this is a process that we've learned, right? Mark and Anna were at the healing school. Teresa and I were at the healing school. It's, it's an awesome perspective to take on praying for healing. I mean, it's taught by one of the guys that's had the most experience and the most success probably in the whole world. Oh, you have a bad knee. Does it hurt? It does. So if it was healed, would you know if there wasn't any pain? Would you have a sense that something happened? Oh, for sure. Okay. Pray, 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 pray. Test your knee. How does it feel? It feels the same. Okay, pray, pray, pray. Test your knee. How does it feel? Oh, man, you know, if 10 was what it was, it's like five right now. You know, there's this process that we, that we go through to pray. When we don't see it move from a 10 to a five or a 10 to a zero, we start entertaining all these conversations. Well, what about this and what about that and what about the other thing? What about when you prayed for that one and, and they're still in the wheelchair? And what about – and it's like if we spend any time on the what about right now, it will consume the what. Right? Because Jesus or the scriptures say without doubting. Right? James says um, if any of you lacks wisdom, you, know, you must ask. 
But if you ask, you better believe that you get it. Because if not, you're double-minded. And a double-minded person should expect nothing from God. So we got to just be careful that we don't open the door to double-mindedness because we have experience. The heck with experience right now. What we're going to do is we're going to deal with the what. This is what it says. This is what we're going to do. Now, there are qualifiers, and, and we're going to deal with qualifiers. So, so qualifier is if you ask and believe, right? If you ask and don't believe, the James Scripture tells you don't expect anything. You're not going to get what you ask for if you're doubting. The Scripture says, whatever you ask in my name, and we talked a few weeks ago about what it looks like to be in Jesus' name. So it's a qualifier. So today, because we're, we're, we're trying to get ourselves back in the rhythm of, of praying together, like you know, formally here at church on Sundays, but in general, we're going to deal with a qualifier today. And, and today's qualifier is sin. Okay? All right. So let me give you then... Three quick scriptures, I'm not going to elaborate on them a ton, but just three quick scriptures to indicate, New Testament scriptures, right? I mean, the Old Testament is just a plethora of scriptures that could make you understand that there's consequences to sin, real consequences, beyond just eternal consequences. But they're in the New Testament as well. If we think that because we're under grace, there's no consequence to sin, then read Romans, you know, the first six chapters at least, and you'll find out where Paul says, well, we're not under law anymore. And he's like, if you say, wow, we're not under law, so we can go do whatever we want. This is awesome. He say, no, let it never be like that. We're not to use our freedom as a license to sin because there's consequences to sin even though we're under grace. Okay? All right. So how, how do you know that, Pat? Well, here's a couple examples of why I think that's true. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Children? Children. Any children in here? Huh? If you're less than 50, in my eyes, you're a children. I have a 38-year-old son. I'm speaking to Ryan. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So the commandment is that children, and you know, from the perspective of children, if you have parents, you're a children. Children, honor your parents. It's the first command that comes with a promise. So if, if you have, like, like if you were sitting back, I don't know, I'm just going to off the top of my head, back in the corner over there, and your pastor was preaching, and, and you were talking to your friends, and I mean, I'm just, it's, just, it's just hypothetical, Ashley and Levi. I mean, I'm not saying anything like that might really be happening right now, Ashley and Levi. <laughs> Honor your parents. Honor your parents. Because it's a, prom- it's a command that comes with a promise. The, the promise is that if you honor your parents, things are going to go well for you, and you'll spend a long, well life on this earth. And you shouldn't have enjoyed that so much, just so you know. If it comes with that promise, then the contrary must be true. If you don't honor your parents, then things aren't likely to go well for you. And your days will be shortened on this earth. And just as a... A practical thing, a number of times we've prayed with people. And it's like, they're like people that live under a black cloud. You know, their life is just not abundant. Christian people even, right? And you, you pray and, and, you know, they don't get any deliverance from all the issues of life. And not that there's not going to be challenges, but, but there's certain stuff that just doesn't feel like it's testing of faith and the kind of stuff that, that would 
be expected for God's kids. And, and then eventually you get to the point where you say, well, tell me about your relationship with your parents. Ugh, you know, I haven't talked to my mom in years because blah, blah, blah. Even, or, you know, my dad this, blah, blah, blah. It's like, whoa, okay. And, and when people will accept the grace from God to release their parents, I mean, you know, other than my wife, probably nobody's a perfect parent. I know I'm not. I'm joking. This mess. Somebody, you know, get, gets a bonus here. But the point is that the parents are, are likely to not be absolutely perfect. But as children, we don't have the right from God to then judge our parents and dishonor them. You get the consequence whether you had the most excellent parents or the least excellent parents, you're still required to honor them. So when we find somebody whose relationship with their parents is really bad, if they'll take God's grace and repent and honor their parents, you'll see the life will change. I'll give you a prayer example here in a minute, later on in the sermon. Sin, dishonoring your parents, has consequences. Things don't go well for you, and your days are shortened. Matthew six fourteen and 15. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgression. This verse comes directly after Jesus' disciples. They're asking him, hey, teach us how to pray. And, he, and then he tells them what we know is the Lord's Prayer. And part of that is forgive us our trespasses as we, right, a sowing and reaping, as we forgive others who've trespassed against us. So as we forgive people, we're forgiven, sowing and reaping, right? So he finishes like, you know, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And the only thing he reinforces is this. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Now, I don't understand yet. I mean, I don't have a sense to understand if that's an eternal forgiveness or just a forgiveness that we would get day to day needing forgiveness of our sins as we walk through life with the Lord. But if we have the sin of unforgiveness, then we don't get the grace of forgiveness from God. It's a consequence. And and take that one just a step further. You may or may not be familiar. I'm not going to read the whole parable. It's a long one. But there's this parable about this guy, and, and he owes this huge debt to this, like, king person. And um, he could never pay it back. It's like, you know, billions of dollars of debt. But the king has mercy on him, and he releases him from his debt. And then this person goes find somebody that owes him 100 bucks, and, and that person cries out for mercy. You know, I'll try to pay you back. Just, you know, give me a minute. And he won't have any mercy on him. He throws him into debtor's prison. And the, some of the other people saw that happen. They went back to the king. And they said, king, this man that you've given such great mercy to for a billion dollars, he wouldn't give any mercy for a hundred dollars. So the king calls this guy back in front of him. And he says, listen, your debt's been re-given re- back to you now. I'm not having mercy because you wouldn't have mercy. And here's how that parable ends. And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Oh, that's an interesting guy, that, that, uh, that Lord guy. Then Jesus speaking goes on and says, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Now, I don't know exactly what the fruit of the torturers is, but I'm guessing it's not something any of us want. I would be surprised to find if it wasn't some sickness or some kind of consequences in life, but there's a strong reinforcement that if we hold the sin of unforgiveness in our hearts, that that our Father 
will give us the same kind of torment that that Jesus says right here in his word. So the the point I want you to understand is that, that sin has consequence. When the Bible talks about sin, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, sin has consequence. If we sin, there's always going to be consequence. We might not ever be or always be able to draw a direct line between, okay, I told this lie and and this consequence happened in my life. But I promise you, if if your life has any consequence at all, anything in there that's not, you know, on earth as it is in heaven, then you can be certain there's some sin issue that that drove it. You may be tested. And anyway, do you agree with me just from the scriptures? Can I move on? Sorry, because I'll talk for an hour and not get anywhere. Okay. Let me then say if if consequence, if there's consequences of sin, and, and one of the consequences could be sickness. Let me just draw a line there. This this one is the pool of Bethesda. This this guy's been there for 38 years, and, and every once in a while an angel stirs the water, and the first one in gets healed. So all these people that are affirmed and sick are, are waiting and waiting and waiting for the angel to come and stir the water so they can get healed. This particular guy, Jesus, comes, and he says, hey, you know, you're... you're messed up, you want to get healed, and he heals him, right? The guy tells the story, hey, I can't get in fast enough because I'm, you know, I'm crippled. Afterwards, now this guy's been healed. This is the verse, John five fourteen. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, behold, you have become well. In this case, well is not sozo, but it's a different word. It's healthy. You've become healthy. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. So Jesus himself is connecting sin to worse things the guy was sick. The implication, although it's not absolute, but the implication is that, that he had some kind of thing that he did that brought about this, this disorder in his body that had him at the side of the pool for 38 years. Jesus heals him, and he's like, now listen, don't, don't sin anymore so nothing worse happens to you. Matthew 9, uh, verses 2 through 7, and they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus, now, I don't know if you know this story, but this guy's buddies are bringing him to Jesus. Everybody's heard about Jesus, and he's having this meeting, and it's packed out. And they're bringing their paralytic buddy on his stretcher bed thing, and they're trying to get him to Jesus because they believe that Jesus could get him healed, right? But they can't, so they climb up on the roof, and they dig a hole, and they drop their buddy down through the hole so Jesus can heal him. That, that's the backstory. And they brought, him, brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, Get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up and went home. What got this guy healed? Usually when you hear this, this story preached, it's faith. And, and if, it's, if it's really you know, preached, it's not even necessarily the paralytic's faith. It's like his buddy's faith got him healed. But I don't think that's what got him healed. That's, that was the gate to getting him healed, right? Because we, we heard some of the qualifiers, if you believe, right? So they came in faith. But what got him healed was the forgiveness of his sins, It was the forgiveness of his sins that made him well. This is a huge passage of scripture for so many different things in the Bible that we wonder about. Jesus wanted to demonstrate that he had authority to forgive sin on earth, right? 
he did it in front of the, you know, the crowd that was there wasn't just peasants and people. The, the religious leaders from the, from the area were there too. And Jesus wanted to challenge the religious spirit in them. And he said to them, He's, his sins are forgiven, which he knew would tweak them off. And then he got a word of knowledge, right? He knew what was in their hearts. Don't you know that while the Son of Man is on earth, he has the authority to forgive sins? So what he did was he forgave that man's sin. And the man got up and walked. He was healed. Healing, the paralytic, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Now here's the like this if there was a if there was like okay you know those are pretty good but I'm I'm still not convinced I think this one will convince you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 24 through 32. So this is Paul to the you know Corinthian church which was pretty well messed up and he's teaching um or he's re, he's correcting them on their behavior when they come together for the Lord's supper. So Paul says therefore whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, what's this reason? That you did not judge the body rightly. It's a sin to not rightly judge the body, okay? For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. Now, now those people, they're not snoring, right? I mean, that's like the big sleep, like the you've gone to sleep and you don't wake up sleep, they're dead. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So... The specific sin is, 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 not, is to not rightly judge the body, right? That's, that's not our point today. Our point is that it's a sin, right? Understanding that part's not, not what we're trying to do today. But we have to understand that it's a sin to not rightly judge the body. And then in not rightly judging the body, we take of the blood and the body of the Lord. And then what we do is we eat and drink judgment onto ourselves. So uh, some of you are... Weak, sick, and dead. Three consequences, physical consequences, weakness, sickness, and death because of not rightly discerning the body when we take and sin in the way that we take communion. Okay? It, it's, it's just what it is. It's like gravity. It's, it's not debatable that there's consequences to sin, and one of the consequences of sin is sickness. So the principle then behind the connection between sin and consequence and, and then sin and sickness. And remember, the purpose that we're doing this is because we're going to be praying for ourselves and we're going to be praying for one another and we want to actually see our prayers get answered by God. All right? So the principle behind that connection is this. Galatians 5.17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please, the bad things that you desire, that your, that your flesh would desire to do. So you have your flesh here and you have the spirit of God here. They're diametrically opposed to one another. 
Anything that the flesh desires is sin. Why? Because it's directly opposed to the spirit. So if anything opposes the spirit, it's sin. The, the, the flesh and the spirit don't agree on anything. That's why we pick up our cross daily to follow Jesus, because every time the flesh rises up and wants something, it needs to be crucified. It needs to be crucified. It has to die on the cross. We carry that thing around with us because our flesh is continually trying to rise up, even in unbelief, and it needs to be crucified. Okay, so anything of the flesh is sin. Now, Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For what a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. See, God will not be mocked. He won't be made fun of. You are going to, not you, but we, people, look at the ceiling when you say you, I will reap what I sow. It's, It's Again, it's like gravity. You cannot plant dandelions and harvest grapes. If you plant dandelions, you get weeds. If you plant grapes, you get grapes. What you put down, you take out. The law of sowing and reaping is absolute. And there's a, there's a, a part of the law, and so, the law of sowing and reaping that's the law of increase. So anything that you sow, you will reap in increase. If you put down one kernel of corn into the ground, it will grow into a stalk. The stalk will have multiple ears. Each ear will have hundreds of kernels of corn. One kernel of corn multiplies, right? That's a good thing. But the same is true in the bad way. If we sow to our flesh, the corruption that we reach is, is multiplied. You know, it's interesting. I might take a little diversion from, from this bigger conversation next week to talk about um, sin and sin in the body, like the big body of the church and And one of the things that you see in multiple places is a little leaven leavens the whole dough or the whole lump. So so if we allow a little corruption, it will grow into a lot of corruption. It's why we have to keep short accounts. So the principle behind all this that I'm trying to get us to understand is the law of sowing and reaping, understanding that God will not be mocked. The person who thinks that they can just sin and confess and sin and confess, sin and confess, even though that's true, It's not true to a person whose heart isn't sincere in their confession and repentance. If they think they found a loophole in the Bible that says, I get to do whatever I want, all I got to do is say I'm sorry, and then do it again and say I'm sorry, what are they doing? They're mocking God. They're, They're making a mockery of his word. That's why Paul said, just because all things are permissible, not all things are beneficial. Not all things should be done. So the principle behind all of this is sowing and reaping. And and as long as we're thinking about it, if we're going to sow, we might as well understand that there's going to be an increase, right? So if we sow into the spirit, there's going to be an increase from the spirit. If we sow into the flesh, we we reap corruption. Corruption feels a lot like sickness and disease to me. Okay, John, um, or 1 John chapter 5, the the beginning of verse 17, Just, just to make a point, all unrighteousness is sin. So anything that's outside of righteousness, it isn't, there isn't a little bit of unrighteousness that's, it, it's okay, it's not terrible, but it's okay, it's sin. If it's not righteous, it's sin. All unrighteousness is sin. And righteousness isn't just not doing, it's doing. 
right? There's a sin of omission. If it's righteous to help a hungry person with food and you don't do it, then you're not righteous in that behavior. If you give it to them, that's righteousness. If, if it's unrighteous to practice a certain thing and you don't do it, then you're, you're setting yourself apart unto righteousness. But it's not just what you don't do. Righteousness is also what you do, like the good things that you're called to do. So, so you could be void of any evil practice in your life and still be unrighteous in areas because you aren't doing those things that God has called you to do. Okay, all unrighteousness is sin. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. All unrighteousness is sin. All unrighteousness. These scriptures teach us that fellowship in the light engages the blood of Jesus. And I don't know if that's going to make sense to you. It's, a, it's, it's something that I'm just starting to, to ponder with. But he says here, um, if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin. So, so our cleansing seems to be continually present as, low, as though we're walking in, as when we're walking in the light. It's, it's almost like a continual cleansing that's happening. And, and it makes sense from the rest of the scripture that if we step into the darkness, then we're not fellowshipping with God anymore. He doesn't fellowship in darkness. That's why the word says that, that he, he resists the proud, right? When we step in pride, we're not in the light, we're in darkness. There is no grace, but there's grace for the humble. When we humble ourselves and go back into the light, we, can, we go back into this place of, of being cleansed by the blood of Jesus of all of our sin and unrighteousness. But when we, when we walk in the dark, and if we say we never walk in the dark, like I, I never have a sin anymore, I, I never have a sin anymore, I'm just perfect, always in the light, we deceive ourselves. And, it, and the, the bad thing is that the more we deceive ourselves, the harder it is for us to not be deceived. So it's very important that, that when we catch a little bit of leaven, trying to leaven up our dough, that we quickly deal with it. And how do we deal with it? He says right here, you confess your sins and you're cleansed of all unrighteousness. The defilement, that's not the word it uses, corruption that comes from unrighteousness is dealt with as we confess our sins. God's not interested in us living in the darkness. He wants us to live in the light because in the light is the blessing, is the abundance that Jesus purchased for us, walking in the light. This is, again, kind of this next one, James 5, is kind of, it kind of brings all of it together for us a little bit here. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Is anyone among you suffering? And he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? 
then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Confess unto cleansing unto righteousness. I think the practical process here is that when we confess our sins, we're cleansed of all unrighteousness. Let me back up a minute. We had a sin. And because of that sin, we, we um, incurred corruption, right? We read that scripture. We've become corrupted in some way. It may manifest in physical sickness. It may manifest in things not going well for us. But something bad happened because of our sin. Now, the order that this says is confess your sins to one another. The first thing we do is we confess our sin. When we confess our sin, what happens? We're cleansed of all unrighteousness. Then we pray for one another that we might be healed. So unrighteousness or sin brought about some corrupted condition. Confessing put us back in a place of righteousness before God. The prayer then removed the corruption that we gained as a result. So it's almost like we have to do both to actually get the deliverance that we're looking for. If all we did was confess our sin, but not pray for the healing, we may very well find ourselves in a righteous place with God, but we're dragging around you know, this bum knee that should have been healed, but we didn't ask. Is it James you don't get because you don't ask? Do you see the logic in the, in the scripture in the process? A function of getting healed or delivered from consequences is absolutely connected to confession and repentance from sin with prayer. I'm just give you two quick examples. And one of them you're very familiar with. The other one you, you're probably not as familiar with. The, the, the testimony I have of the lady in India, right? She had these terrible abdominal pains. She came, like we, we were speaking to 20, like I think there was 24,000 people at this giant crusade revival thing. And they had all these men hooked arms like this because everybody wants prayer. And there's like five of us praying. So anyway, I get this lady. She comes up. I have an interpreter. He's a wonderful, awesome guy. And he tells me she's got these terrible pains in her abdomen. I'm like, does she have them right now? He said, yes, okay. Pray, 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 pray. Nothing happens. The Lord, I keep hearing this word, bitterness, 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 bitterness. It's a word of knowledge. So finally I ask, hey, ask her if she has bitterness in her heart towards anybody. She's like, no, 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 no. Okay, prayed, still nothing happened. And I, I, it wouldn't go away. I just kept hearing it. And this is, listen, you need to be very careful if you're going to do this. And it's not typical of how, I mean, probably just a couple, two or three times in my life I've ever done this. And I've prayed 10,000 times for people. But it, but it was so strong, I said, tell the lady I'm not going to pray for her anymore because she's lying to me. She does have bitterness. She's like, no. I'm like, yes. I said, I don't, you know, whatever, but I'm done. You could get in, you know, back in the 20,000 people and hope for another shot at this thing, but I'm done praying for you because you're lying to me. After a few iterations of that, she put her head down and she said something. I said to the guy, what did she say? She said, my husband. 
I said, all right. We went through a little process of confessing and repenting, prayed for her. It healed in a second. In a second, it was gone. Yeah, but it wasn't going to get gone until she dealt with the sin. It didn't go. Now that I'm thinking of what I'm teaching, it didn't go until I prayed for it, but it couldn't go until she confessed it, until she dealt with it. So she had to deal with it. Then we prayed for it. Just like that, she was healed in a second. A little less dramatic, but at the Freedom Center, I was at a young adult meeting, and, um, you know, I don't remember exactly what was going on at the moment, but it was kind of like worshipy, you know, and there was this kid. He was sitting on the floor. Kid, he's probably 23 or 24. And I just kept, man, I just could not. Every time I tried to look away, I don't know why am I just drawn to this kid. So finally, I went over to him, and I'm like, hey, you know, you got any sickness or anything? Because I can't, the Lord will not get me to stop looking at you. And he's like, no, I'm great. I'm like, you know, sorry, I just must have missed it. And, and I'm walking away, he goes, he's sitting on the floor. He's like, well, hang on a minute. He's like, I got this. And he goes like this, and I'm telling you, it sounded like somebody stomped on a bag of cornflakes. It's just like crunch, crunch, crunch. You could just hear it. I'm like, well, that's something. He's like, yeah. I prayed for him probably six times. Test it, pray, test it, pray, test it. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And I felt like I heard like the Lord ask him, tell me about, oh no, it was when did this start? And he told me when it started. I said, what's going on in your life when that started? Well, right, right then is when my dad left us. And what happened was, he, you know, he was a, his mom and dad were married. And his dad had a relationship with a different woman and he left his family for this other woman. And when that happened, the mom didn't have the financial resources to be able to maintain you know, they had a nice life. You know, he could have stuff and whatever. They ended up, you know, in a, in a much diminished life from the perspective of what he could have for himself because of what his dad did. He judged his father. He, he, he quit honoring his father. So I shared with him the scripture with a promise, right? And he's a Christian guy. And he recognized his sin of judging his father. Now, listen, his dad was a, was a bad guy. What he did was wrong. And, and, and in the an eye for an eye kind of a world, he had every right to judge his father, except in a New Testament believer, we don't have that right. We can sit in the judgment seat and then we will be judged. That's what was happening to him. Or we can sit in the mercy seat and we can be merciful and we can receive mercy. But you can't sit in the mercy seat and judge. It just doesn't work. It's not how it is. So we, he comes to this revelation that he's judging his father, that he's holding bitterness towards his father, and that he is not honoring his father biblically. He repents. I pray for him. Shoulders healed. Nothing. All the, It's just perfect. He's like, wow. He's had it since he was like 16. And for him, that was seven or eight years. He brought it on by judging his dad. Did his dad do wrong? He did. But you don't get the right, or he doesn't. We don't get the right to dishonor and judge our parents. Cause and effect, sowing and reaping. Once he sowed humility, he humbled himself before the truth. She humbled herself before the truth. Then the grace of God could come and they could get healed. There's so many what about this and what about that and you know, but I was never taught to pray that way. It's like, I don't understand. How come it seems to work this time? It didn't work that time. This one never practices that way of praying and they get tons of, you know, miracles and this one always does. It's like, I don't know all that stuff. 
But what I know is what the Bible says, and what I know is the testimonies that we have. And, and praise God, you know, who'd pay any attention to Thurman, even though he's teaching the scriptures exactly as they are, without the incredible testimonies of the results of his ministry? So I don't know the answer to all the questions. I don't know, like, is all sickness caused by sin? I think the answer is yes and maybe. Absolutely yes, because there was no sickness in the garden until the fall, right? If, if there was no sin, there would be no sickness in general in the whole planet. So is all sickness caused by sin? Yes, original sin. But is all my sickness caused by my sin? Maybe it is. I don't know. What if it's half? What if half of my sickness is caused by my sin? We could deal with half of it. And then maybe God will help us figure out the other half. Or maybe it's all of it, just like in the garden. I mean, I just don't know. But I know it's some because I can see it in the word of God, just like we looked at today. So let's don't get goofed up with absolutes and let's don't get goofed up with whatabouts. Let's get goofed up with, hey, maybe there's some sin that's causing this problem for you. And if you'll repent from it, you'll confess it, repent for it. We'll pray for you. You'll get healed. We should just do that. That would be awesome. So we will. Here's the other thing that you got to be so careful about or we have to be so careful about. People's egos, their identities, how they see themselves are all over the place. Some people are very comfortable in their skin. They, they recognize their identity in the Lord. You could say whatever you want. You could do whatever you want to them. You're not going to shake them. They're not going to lose sleep tonight over it. But other people, just the thought, even though they would consciously, they would know that there's, there's sin in their life, it's impossible for them to confront it because their identities are so weak. So, if we're going to talk to people about sin, we have to do it in such a way that we don't hurt them in the process, right? I mean, <laughs> we want them to have confidence in us, each other in us when we pray, but it's not bad to be able to confess our own sin to somebody. As a matter of fact, I think the principle, right? Remember the, the James chapter five? If any of you are sick, you know, confess your sins, pray for one another, all that. The end part says the fervent, I'm, now I'm getting into King James because I think it's the way I know it, but the, the, effect, the fervent effectual prayer of the righteous avails much, accomplishes much. So if I'm the guy praying and I have sin, sin is unrighteousness, so I ought to be confessing any sin that I'm aware of because it's the righteous person whose prayers accomplish much so it's not just an issue of a person comes to me and I'm asking them, hey, wow, you know, it's not going away. Could there be any sin in your life? When did it start? All that kind of stuff. If I haven't already addressed my own, because what makes my sin so effective is that I'm doing it from a position of righteousness. So it's both sides of the equation have to be standing in purity, in righteousness before God. My point is, be very careful that the confession of sin should never lead to someone's judgment. It should only lead to their blessing. Nobody should ever be... Gosh, there's so many scriptures just dancing around in my head. Here's a good one. Romans chapter, chapter 2. Matter of fact, I'm just going to go there. We did this in a meeting the other day. Um, give me just a minute.
Okay, here you go. Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. Do you suppose this, O man, when you pass pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? So it's not like... um, the person that's come for prayer, their issue is they tell lies, but I don't have a problem with lies, so I can judge them in their lies. No. If their problem is they tell lies and my problem is I gossip, guess what? The same thing that, that the scriptures are talking about is sin. If I have sin in my life, I better not stand and judge somebody else's sin because then I bring judgment to myself. So we don't want to tap dance around sin. If it's there, it needs to be dealt with. It's not an issue that people need to be ashamed of. We should never bring shame to anybody. But we're going to find out or have already found out that if it's not dealt with, we might as well bother not to pray because it's hindering what God wants to have for that person or for us if we're that person. So if you're praying for someone, be careful not to judge anybody. Make it so easy and so safe to confront their sin so that they can get delivered from whatever they're dealing with, that it won't be a problem for them. But you also can run into the person that won't. I prayed for a lady one time. She had a thing on her um, arm, and she had terrible carpal tunnel. Couldn't hardly use her hand or anything. I prayed for her, and I said, is it better? And she couldn't tell because she had the thing on. I said, you know, Will your hand fall off if you take it off? And she's like, no, but it'll hurt. I said, just take it off and just a little bit, a little bit, you know, just, just a little bit. She took the thing off and she starts moving her hand. And then she starts moving her hand and then she just starts bawling because God healed her. Maybe two months later, I see the same lady. And I ask her, hey, you know, I don't see the thing. How are you doing? She's like, it's been good ever since you prayed for me. I'm like, awesome. But she says, I got this problem in my knee. I said, let's pray for it. Prayed and nothing happened. So I started asking her some questions. Turns out she and her daughter were in a thing. She was so bitter towards her daughter. And I said, do you think, you know, maybe if you would forgive your daughter, you might be able to get healed in your knee too. I won't. I'll never forgive her. I'm like, do you think maybe just let's don't, you know, you're not really forgiving her. Let's just see if we can say the words. Just, I mean, I, I really, I trust that she is not forgiven. But I mean, I'm trying to walk this lady to get to this place. She refused. She said, I won't even pretend to forgive her. I'm not saying the words. There's nothing we could do to get her knee healed. This time, I don't understand it. Yeah, I don't know. This one was, I didn't, we, there was no problem. Maybe she wasn't mad at her daughter yet. I don't know. But I don't understand how come that one got healed and we didn't have to deal with anything. But God was not touching that knee until she released her daughter from judgment. We just have to deal with what the Bible tells us we should deal with. And if, if guess what? If somebody's living in some kind of sin and they're, they're hitching their giddy up doesn't get healed, but they repent, at least they've restored themselves to walking in the light as he himself is the light and they can have fellowship with God again. This is the what. I mean, this is just a good picture of the what. It's the one I read at the beginning. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. 
and greater works than these he will do. Because I, Jesus, this is Jesus speaking, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Last week I said this, and I'll say it again this week, and then I'll close and, and we'll, we'll pray for one another. These are Jesus' words in the Bible. Is this truth? Answer me, seriously, is it truth? Right. If Jesus said it, if it's in the Scriptures, it's absolutely the truth. Is it true in our lives, what he said? Are, are, is there anybody who could testify to doing greater works than Jesus did? Does that cause it not to be truth? It does not. So what has to happen? Our true and his truth. Our true and his truth. Our true and his truth. Our true, I'm just not that tall, and his truth. Our true and his truth. And in this case, our true is greater than the works that Jesus did. Greater than the works. It's truth. It may not be true right now, but the fact that it's not true in our day-to-day walk doesn't cause God's word to cease to be truth. So our job then is to cry out to the Lord. When we're getting ready to pray, Father, I just ask that you crucify doubt in me, that, that you would give me the grace of faith to believe what I'm asking for so that this person can get what they need from you. They got to believe too. I mean, again, that's more what about. But the point is, if we tried it a hundred times and our true didn't match his truth, holding fast and persevering says we tried another hundred times and we tried another hundred times and we never stop walking in the truth without regard to what our true looks like. Amen? Amen. Okay, let me pray over you and then please, if you got any need at all, come and get prayed.